If you, if you look at Luke chapter 20, we're going to read a, a, a quite a lengthy portion of Scripture this morning, and then we're going to talk about it just a little bit. I've titled the message, Who's in Charge Here? <laughs> Who is in charge here? This is what Jesus is being asked, and uh, he's being challenged in his authority. And so, verse 1 says, One day... As he was teaching the people in the temple courts and preaching the gospel. I like this. I like this idea. you got to get the context. One day, Luke is is painting the picture for us. He's teaching people in the temple. Now, last week we talked about the triumphal entry. Jesus has entered the city of Jerusalem. He's in his final week, really, on the earth. He knows the cross is before him. And we find him in the temple teaching This is what he does. This is why he came. He's coming to try to share the gospel is what my uh, version says, what my translation says. Yours might say the good news. It might say the message of redemption. He's sharing the good news that God is for them. He's not against them. That God is ushering in something new. That he's coming in a new way. That he wants to draw them to himself. That, he's, that, he's, that he wants to be in relationship with them. Indeed, he has always wanted relationship with them. And so he's there teaching. And the chief priests and the teachers of the law, together with the others, or together, together with the elders, came up to him. All right, so all the chief priests. Now, you've got to understand, the chief priests is kind of like uh, the royal family of religious leadership, right? These people have been in power for a long time. And then there are teachers of the, that includes the high priest. Those kind of people, there's a hierarchy, there's a pyramid, there's a pyramid of, of, of uh, authority within the temple, and the highest would be the high priest, all right? So he's got the priests, and then the teachers of the law, this is several people who would have been instructors or people that would be responsible for teaching the law, and then to get together with the elders, all right, these are, these are people who are also in authority, came up to him, all right, so they're all there, and they come up to him, and they, and they say in verse 2, tell us by what authority you are doing these things, they said. Who gave you this authority? Who gave you this authority? Now, what, what are they asking about? Now, we just read in 19, at the end of chapter 19, we read how Jesus went into the temple and he clears out the money changers. This is not Jesus' motive operation, his, his modus operandi. He, but he comes into the temple, the intensity is ratcheting up because he knows where he's headed in terms of the cross. He knows what's about to, to unfold before him. And as he goes into the temple, he's like, had it up to here. You ever feel like that? Now, the cool thing about Jesus is he can have it up to here and do it perfectly. <laughs> You can't all the time. Sometimes you can, but you, there's, a, there's a thing that Jesus has had it up to here, and he comes in and he sees these money changers in the temple. Money changers in the temple, just, just a small description. They were, tri- they were the kind of people that were marking up sacrifices for their own gain. 
there was a sense to which it was more convenient for people making the long journey to the temple, and it was much easier to purchase something there and then to, and then to sacrifice it. So still a spotless lamb, still a, 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 an offering that was unblemished to the Lord, absolutely. But then the, the, these money changers were there marking up the cost. Another thing that was happening was they were, there was a, a way that you paid the money in the, temp, the temple tax. You paid the temple tax with a certain kind of money. And if you came from other places, you had to exchange your money for that temple's money. And as you exchange it, the money changers would mark it up. So they were taking, here's the bottom line, they were taking advantage of worshipers. One of the things that I hold as a very, the, of, in the highest regard is my responsibility never to take advantage of worshipers. Every pastor must fear this idea, this, this must understand the reverence and respect that we must have for God's people who are just trying to worship him. To not beat them, to not mistreat them, to not use their worship, their money, for things that would be um, in some way uh, violating to them or to God. It's serious, serious business. And so Jesus, he comes in and he knows what's coming is there is a new age. There is a new, in in a way, there is a new temple that is beginning to be built. There is quietly a new sense of, of of God's kingdom that is taking the place of the old way. The old covenant is about to be replaced with a new covenant. And that covenant is going to be sealed with the blood of Jesus. Jesus knows it's coming. The old old covenant was was something so uh, powerful in its day. The words of God given to his people. But Jesus knows he is being used as the son of God to demonstrate and to reveal God's great kingdom plan and his purpose. To reveal God's love and mercy to all of the earth. Not just to a select few. Not just to reveal it through words. But to reveal it through a person. The person of Christ. And so here he is. He comes in and he's... And he's and he's throwing out these money changers. And, and, and the, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, the elders, they come and they say, who gave you this authority? And here's why they ask. Because everybody had to have somebody's authority. The religious order, the structure was formal. It was, it was an ordination process. It was a formal process. Somebody had to put their stamp of approval on you if you were going to do ministry. There had to be this way of doing things. You had to be trained properly. You had to be trained properly. And so Jesus is not part of the system. He is outside the system. He has not come up through the traditional ranks 
of training and authority. He's outside their authority structure, and he's starting to have massive groups of people follow after him. He is a threat to their authority. He is a threat to their old way. He is a threat to them because they're about to lose their power, and they somehow, they somehow sense this, although they, they really don't see what God has in mind. And so here he is, they're asking him this question, who gave you this authority? Verse 3, he replied, I will also ask you a question. You got to love Jesus. You got to see that he is, he is so like us in many, many ways. He, he has become fully human, just a perfect one. So he's going to rib these guys. He's, he's going to ask them a question. He says, I'll also ask you a question. Tell me, John's baptism, was it from heaven or from men? Verse 5, they discussed it among themselves and said, if we say from heaven, he will ask, why didn't you believe him? But if we say from men, all the people will stone us because they persuaded they are persuaded that John was a prophet. Now you can see the picture. Jesus, Jesus responds to their question with a question. So they're like, they're, they're like, who gave you this authority? Jesus asks them the question and then they're like this. Hold on one minute. <laughs> okay, what, is gonna, what are we going to do here? I don't know how to answer this question. What is it? We're, we're, we're stuck. We're trapped. What are we doing? What, what, are, we, what are we going to say? They're having this side conversation to themselves, and they come back and they say this. They they answered, we don't know where it was from. (laughs) That must have killed them. They had to kill them because these are the guys that know everything. These are the guys that know every answer. We don't know where it's from. Love Jesus, verse 8. Jesus said, well, then neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. So as I was saying, everybody, and then he tells the next parable. Now, just just before we go on to this next parable, let's just look at what Jesus is doing here. You might think it's a trick question, but it's not. You might think it's somehow uh, an evasive maneuver to try to get out of answering this question because the question has repercussions. Everybody say repercussions. I like saying it with a kind of northeastern accent. It's repercussions. There are repercussions to this question. Jesus is not trying to avoid the question, but there is a, a sense in which they want him to admit straight out that he is the Messiah and accuse him of blasphemy and arrest him. But his time has not yet come. Later, in the same passage, they ask him a question about Caesar, right? They, they, they say, uh, we're supposed to pay taxes to Caesar. What do, you, what do you say about paying taxes? What they're doing is trying to trick him into saying something where he's got a huge following and people are, are nervous about an uprising that he might lead against the Roman government, If they can get him to say that you shouldn't pay taxes because only God is the one who you should pay anything to. They're trying to trick him into saying this so so that there's a sense of him rejecting Roman authority and only responding to God's authority. Then, of course, they can call the Romans in and they'll arrest him. 
So there's, there's, there's all kinds of things at play here. Jesus is not evading something. But what he's doing is he is really asking the same question back to them. He's asking the same question back to them. Luke, the writer of this story, right? We may have forgotten John the Baptist by this time, 20 chapters in, but Luke hasn't. Luke brings him back into the story. He, he, he tells the story about him in chapter 4, chapter 3 and 4, and, or chapter 4 and 5, and he says, and, and he says, he tells a story about John the Baptist because he's trying to make a point here. Jesus is saying that I have an authority that comes from God, and it was conferred on me the day I was baptized by John the Baptist. Do you remember the story? He goes, and John the Baptist says, I shouldn't be baptizing you. You should be baptizing me. And so Jesus says, no, we need to do this to fulfill the scripture and to fulfill all things. Jesus willingly submitted himself to this process, and as he went into the water and came out, then God revealed himself a The spirit descended like a dove, and God said to him, this is my son, gave him an identity. This is my son, whom I love. That was, he was validating his son. I love him, in whom I am well pleased. He was affirming him. Jesus received authority from God through John the Baptist baptizing him. So, the the issue is, if John the Baptist is from heaven... If his ministry is from heaven, then Jesus must also be from heaven. The authority of John the Baptist is the same authority for Jesus. And so Jesus is trapping them into admitting that he receives his authority from God. If they say that John the Baptist is of human origin, his whole ministry is from human origin, then they're going to get stoned. And I don't mean this. They are so afraid of the people. I want you to think about this for a moment. They're so afraid of the people. They are not, however, afraid of the authority of God. They're challenging Jesus' authority, but they don't have any fear of God and his authority. They don't understand it. They don't understand how it works. Then Jesus, I'm just going to breeze through this next passage, and, and we'll just read, read it straight through without much comment, because I want you to see what he's saying, because he's going to pick on these guys. He's going to tell a story on them. So here's verse 9. He went on, on to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard, rented it to some farmers, and went away for a long time. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants, So they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. So he owns the field and he he rents it to some farmers and then he goes back and he asks for some of the fruit, some of the harvest. But the tenants beat him. They beat the servant and sent him away empty-handed. He sent another servant, but that one also they beat and treated shamefully and sent away empty-handed. He sent still a third and they wounded him and threw him out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, what shall I do? I will send my son, whom I love. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they talked the matter over. This is the heir, they said. Let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. Let's take it by force. So they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. 
What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. Now, you've got to understand that everybody who's listening to this, listening to this, understands who Jesus is talking about. He understands that the people that, he, that the, the, the master has sent, the farmer has sent, are the prophets. That the vineyard is Israel. The vineyard is God's people. And God has made them what they are. And, and as he sends people to them, they resist them. They reject them. And then finally, they send, he, God, the farmer sends his own son. And it's the picture of Jesus. And these farmers, these tenants who own this property, who are beating the, beating the prophets and, and killing the son, they represent these leaders that Jesus is talking to. So when the people heard this, they said, may this never be, because they knew what he was talking about. Verse 17 says, Jesus looked directly at them and asked, then what is the meaning of that which is written? The stone the builder rejected has become the capstone, the cornerstone. We sang about that this morning. If you don't really understand what this means, is you can imagine a, 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 a building being built with stones of all kinds of sizes, shapes and sizes, and there's one that just doesn't quite fit. It's not quite right. It doesn't seem right. It's, so they put it to the side, and then they build the wall, and they build each, each wall, and they come to the corner of the wall, and it's being built, and suddenly there's, a, there's one large stone that fits, that makes sense of everything, and it goes right on that corner, and it makes sense of everything. You can imagine this is what... This is what Jesus is saying. This is what has been said about him, that he is the cornerstone. Verse 18, everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces, but he on whom it falls will be crushed. I was reading about this a little bit this week, and I, there's an old Jewish proverb that talks about a pot. And the pot, if the, the pot is dropped on this rock, the pot breaks to pieces. And if the pot is sitting somewhere and a rock drops on it, it breaks to pieces. Either way, the pot breaks to pieces. You have to understand what Jesus is saying here is the way, the old way, is giving way to a new way. And the old ways have to be given up. The old ways, the old sacrificial system is going away the old sacrificial system of, of, of taking an animal, a spotless lamb, and putting it on an altar and putting the way it would work is the sinner would put his hands on the head of that animal and the transfer would happen of sin onto that animal whose blood was spilled and paid for the sin. It's the end of that. And what is being ushered in is a new, a new system, a new understanding, a new form of worship where there is one spotless lamb who died once for all. No longer are we engaging in that sacrificial system. There has been one sacrifice who has paid the penalty for your sin and my sin. And we accept him and receive him. So this is, this is, this is beginning to happen. And, and, and what Jesus is pointing at is you have to be willing to be broken. See, you and I are the pot. One way or the other, authority is coming. And if you surrender to God's authority, 
you will be broken. You can't do all the stuff that you want to do and surrender to his authority. It's like the guy who said, man, I just, diets are, it's so hard to be on a diet and eat your regular food too. You fall on him, you get broken. You fall on him, you surrender to him, and you are, you are broken apart. But here's the good news. Jesus is the one who puts you back together. Everything that you knew before is gone, and he begins to form you and shape you in a new way. So I, I don't have time to go through my awesome three points. I know, it's so sad. I took too much time on, on intro, introducing the concept, so I'm just going to give them to you, and I'll, I'll send them to you this week if you want to be on the email list. I'll send you, I'll send you my points. Here they are, because it's really about Jesus' authority. How do we live as the people of God who are under his authority? How do we live as the people of God who are actually under his authority? Authority is not a favorite word of ours, is it? Not in our American culture. What do we think about when we think about authority? You think about, you think about abusive authority. You think about politicians. You think about Enron and the scandals. You think about the boss. You think about the, you think about the church and the people who violate others within the church. I like to say, everybody loves God. Nobody likes his people. We think about authority structures of men. When we think about authority, we don't, have a good, we don't have a good picture of it. We don't like it. We don't like the way it, it, it feels. It, it feels somehow constricting. When in reality, authority is not supposed to be constricting at all. It's supposed to be protecting and empowering. The authority that we're talking about here, there is no doubt that you have to give up everything. Right? That's the first point. The authority of Jesus means total surrender. The authority of Jesus means total surrender. You can't keep anything. You can't hold anything. If I read, if I read I'll just read Colossians 1.15 here to you. Colossians 1.15, and I want you to just, 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 just listen to it. Listen to what it says. It says, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created. Things in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Think about that. In Christ, all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything, everybody say everything. Say it out loud. How many things? Everything he might have the supremacy. That's a big word. Should we say it together? Supremacy. He might have the first place. He might have the place of honor. He might have the only place of honor in our lives. 
For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. God was pleased to to make all his divinity come alive in in Christ the Son and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Here's a thought. Even Jesus did not do whatever he wanted. John 5.19 says that Jesus only did what his father told him to do. Hey, if anybody could have done it, it would have been Jesus. Fully God, fully man, he's, he is supreme. He could have done whatever he wanted. Instead, he yielded himself. The same is true for you and me. We must yield ourselves. Totally surrendered. Here's the question that I have to ask you. Would you be willing to include Jesus in every decision of your life? If you're going to buy a piece of property, would you consult him? If you're going to change jobs, would you consult him first? I'm not talking about when you lose your job and then you pray real hard. <laughs> right? I get that. But when you think you're in charge suddenly, would you, would you be willing to consult him? What about your relationships? What about your kids? Would you be willing to consult your, the, the, the Lord on a routine basis, on a daily basis, thinking about your kids and what they're experiencing? What about your money? Would you be willing to ask God about every decision? Now, what am I saying? Am I saying that every single decision, Wendy's or McDonald's today, needs to run by God? No. No, but what you do with your money, how you steward the money you have, what you do with what God has given you, that needs to be a constant subject. Constant dialogue and discussion with him. What about investing in others? Would you be willing to talk to God about your investment in other people? I find that so many believers don't get to the discussion about investing in others because all the discussion is about them. If you're going to totally surrender to Jesus' authority, your life will have to be marked by how you treat others. It's total surrender. Number two, the authority of Jesus means a relationship instead of a rule book. The authority of Jesus, here's where people get it wrong. When they talk about the obedience that we must have to God, they tend to just look at the scripture and try to do their best to do what it says. They miss the whole point of the new age of the kingdom of God because the new age of the kingdom of God is not about a rule book that God wants you to obey. You come to Jesus, oh, I gotta change my life. Oh, I gotta do stuff that I should, I gotta change the way I'm living. I gotta, okay, that revelation, true enough. But what happens is the only way you can actually change is if you meet a person who will help you change. There's no way around it. You can't be good enough. You can't do enough good things. You can't will yourself to be more honorable to Jesus. All you can do is surrender. all All you can do is just give up. That's the only thing you can actually do. Everything else comes from him. It comes through him. It comes from him. It comes as part of the package of knowing him. So relationship, when you accept Jesus' authority, you're accepting a relationship with him, not just an obedience to what you think he said. 
long ago. Do we discover how, what he said? Sure we do. When we read the Bible, it's, it's one of the best forms that we have of, of learning about who God is. But make no mistake, this life of Christ together that we li- we're living, we're living in a relationship with him. That's the only way this happens. It's the only way authority happens. Hey, it's the only way authority happens and it's good. There are people who will want to put authority on you from the church or through the church. There are other people who will want to put their own authority on you. They'll, be, they'll require things of you sometimes that, that are, are, are religious in nature and not relational in nature. And I want to, I want to encourage you not, never to do that. I want to encourage you always to respond to the relationship. Christ's authority is about obedience to a person and not a prescription for your life. It's obedience to a person. Jesus, of course, said that he didn't call us servants. He calls us friends. Jesus was trying to help his disciples understand this this switch that was being flipped But the truth is, all through the Old Testament, if you look at Genesis 1, Adam and Eve in relationship with God. If you look through Genesis 12, Abraham, God is choosing him. He's choosing to reveal himself to Abraham. And Abraham responds. And and Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then then we have... um, if you, if you keep going through the scriptures, you see how God's heart in, expressed through the prophets, his love for his people. He just wants them to turn to him. If they'll only turn to him, then he will turn to them. He just wants them to respond to his great love. If you look at Exodus 19 and 20, Jesus, God is about to invite all of the nation of Israel up the mountain to hear his voice. It was always God's plan to be relational. But when Jesus was revealed... Everything changed. Everything changed. Number three, final, final thought. The authority of Jesus means we are the recipients of all that he has. Hey, think about this. Think about this. As I was thinking about how this works, it's not just somebody telling you what to do. It's not just direction. It's actually protection. When I look at my kids and I have authority over my kids, what do I want for them? I want the best for them. I want them to succeed. I want them to be full of confidence and assurance. You know what the best way for me to give that to them? Is for them to think that I am for them and never against them. So even in the midst of some discipline where they might think for just a moment that I might be against them. When I demand that they come out with me and rip the shrubs and the bushes out of the front yard, which we were doing yesterday, getting filthy dirty and putting them in a giant trailer, I had this huge, huge uh, trailer full of all my shrubs and all the stuff that had been growing there for 10 years. I ripped it all out. Our house looks totally naked. It looks so clean. It looks like a new house. But I was with my kids. Little Ethan, he was helping me. He's a worker. He loves it. And I was trying to make sure that as we worked, that he was protected at all times. My mind was always on him. 
I was always aware of where he was because he's only eight years old. And so I wanted to know where he was when we got to the place where we were dumping off all of the uh, stuff to, the, to be made into mulch. And, and, and I, w- I was nervous because there are tractors around. There's other people. I'm, I'm aware of him. Um, I, I, I wanted to make sure he was safe and he was okay. I, I, I commanded my son Taylor to come out and help me yesterday. He's 16. He did not love that command. <laughs> but he put on his work clothes and he came out slowly, but he came out. And he, and he came and he worked his tail off and he got up in the trailer and he put stuff on there and he got dirty and he got filthy. It was, it was, it was great. I was so grateful for him. And even in that, there was something happening to him, right? There was, there was something going on in his character. He was responding in obedience to his father who loves him. I want my kids to have everything. I want my kids to have the best of everything. I want my kids to know who they are. And it's the same with your heavenly father. I know we get a poor picture of what he looks like because our, our own earthly parents, sometimes they're so flawed. We've suffered violence and abuse. And we get, a, we get a flawed picture of who God is. But let me tell you this. The authority that God wants to place over your life is for protection, not to violate you. He doesn't want to squeeze you under his control. He wants to set you free under his deliverance and under all of the things that he can give you. If you could look at it, look at this. You won't be able to write it down, but look at the benefits of Christ's authority in us. Wisdom in 1 Corinthians 2. Power in Acts 1.8. Grace gifts in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. The Holy Spirit in Romans 8 and John 14. The written scripture, 2 Timothy 3.16. The name of Jesus that we pray in. Love from the Father. These are all the benefits of being under his authority. You got to give everything up, but you get so much more in return. Close your eyes, bow your heads. And I want you to just let the Holy Spirit speak to you in this moment. I won't keep you very much longer. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you about where you are. Have you been willing to live under Christ's authority? Have you been willing to let him run your life? During my talk today, some of you have thought of things that come up in your mind and you realize, I I haven't yielded that part of my life to God. I haven't been willing to listen that close. I haven't been willing to pay attention that much. I'm more interested in my career than I am in the authority of Christ. You've realized that there's, 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 a, there's a moment here where he's asking you, would you be willing to surrender all? Would you be willing to surrender all? I want to pray for you today. I want us all to pray together. And I, I want to especially call those of you who feel as though you've been away from God. You haven't been willing to give him your life or you really don't even know what that looks like. You're, you're afraid of it. You're afraid of what other people will do to you or the church will do to you. But, but here in this moment, you, you hear the small, still voice of Jesus calling you to himself. Maybe you've never 
never been willing to surrender your life to his authority, but your life's a mess and you realize you're making a mess and, and you need somebody, you need a person who will fix it, who will heal it. That person's name is Jesus. I want to encourage you to respond to him today. I'm not going to call you forward. I'm not going to embarrass you. But I want you to join with me in this prayer. I want you to, everybody across this room, let's, let's join in prayer together and surrender once again to the work of Christ. Would you say it out loud with me? It's not really about the words, but it, but it is about this moment and being willing to say yes. So just all over the room, let's say it out loud together. Everybody say, Heavenly Father, forgive me for doing my own thing. Forgive me for living under my own authority. Forgive me for wanting my way instead of your way. Give me a new start today. I surrender to you totally, completely. I give everything. I lay it at the feet of Jesus. I ask you to come into my life. Make me new. Give me a fresh start so that I can serve you. I need you. I receive you. I receive your forgiveness. Thank you, Jesus. Say it one more time. Say, thank you, Jesus. Father, I pray for every person prayed that prayer offering up their heart to you today would you meet them right there at the point of their need and would you show yourself to them would you reveal all that you are and all that you have would you change them in an instant in a moment and would you take them on a journey the greatest adventure of their lives Lord I thank you for this thank you for it we honor you in this place we're grateful for what you're doing in Jesus name